0: Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. I am Bill Newman.
1: And I am Buzz Eisenberg.
2: And we welcome you to the show. Our first guest today is Lindsay Sabadoza, State Representative Lindsay Sabadoza, the representative representative for and from the first Hampshire district which includes the city of Northampton and the towns of Chesterfield, Cummington, Goshen, Hatfield, Plainfield, West Hampton, Williamsburg, and Worthington. Representative Sabadosa is with us every month and we really appreciate her time and attention to this show and her district. Representative Sabadosa, yesterday was big news in the world of the legislature because committee assignments don't don't people who are listening don't Get snoozy. This actually really <laughs> matters. This really matters. So I'd like to know what committees you have been assigned to, how you feel about those assignments, and then explain to our listeners, who would please, why this really matters in our lives in this district, this month, this year. Representative Sabadosa.
3: Well, thank you, and good morning, Bill. It's always always a pleasure to be here, and good morning, Buzz. Nice to see you. Good morning, Representative. I can't
1: wait to hear about committees, personally.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, though, I think this is the first time I've been here where it's both of you, so this is new show format. It's really exciting. New experience. Um, And so, yes, committee. Committee assignments came out yesterday, and basically uh, what the House does, usually the day after the Senate, is uh, to let legislators know what committees they're gonna be on. These are decisions that are made by the the House leadership. And of course there was some some change in House leadership this session as well, um particularly because we, we've had a lot of people get appointed to other Bigger things. We had someone leave to be the ambassador to Ireland last session,
1: and you call that bigger, <laughs> I know, right?
3: Uh, we had uh, we had someone uh, leave to to work in the Biden administration. So it's been there's been a, a bit of turnover in the house. And we call those demotions. You call this. those demotions. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the ambassador to Ireland will be in Holyoke for the St. Patrick's Day Parade, so don't let her know that, please. <laughs> uh, however, yesterday was an exciting day, and we you know, we all caucus at one, and that's where you sort of find out where what committees you're on as well as everybody else in the legislature. So uh, yesterday, I, I found out, and I'm really excited that I am going to serve this session as the Vice Chair of Municipalities. And it's a really good fit for a couple reasons. First of all, Bill, you went through a long list of towns that I now represent with redistricting. So um, in visiting all of those towns, going to select board meetings, we're starting visits of all of the schools in those communities. It's been really clear that um, municipal issues are going to play a huge role in my upcoming session, um, and particularly with legislation I file. So I'm really happy to be working on this committee. It's got a great chair who um, has really proven herself to be very communicative and, and helpful. Uh, Chair Faiola out of Fall River, and it deals with a lot of home rule petitions. So we're really going to be looking at the nuts and bolts of how legislation passes. So it's not not usually, although it can be, like um, big policy, it's really like how does the legislature take a bill, decide if they're going to move it forward, and what are all the steps that happen there? And so you know, my ask to the Speaker's office was, I want something where I really get to learn, something different and new, and I really want to understand how sausage gets made. So this is the perfect committee for that, to learn about those negotiations and what goes into bills. So I'm just really thrilled to be on it and to be able to take a leadership position in that, and more importantly, just to have the opportunity to learn something different that I think will really benefit my district. We are certainly one of the districts that sends a lot of home rule petitions. Um, I think we're up there with the, the Cape and Islands and some of the places... Um, on the, maybe on the South Shore, more, a little bit more rural areas. And so very glad for this appointment. And then in addition to that, I get to continue to serve on two committees that I love. Uh, One is transportation. Uh, I've been on transportation since I was elected and it's been a wonderful process. I also serve on the Western Mass Rail Commission um, and I've worked really closely with, uh, with Chairman Strauss over that time. So thrilled to be able to stay on that committee. You're always a little nervous because you don't know, and that's a popular one. So everyone's jockeying to get on it. And then the other committee, uh, for those who know anything about me, uh, know how much I care about health care. And so I will continue to serve on the health care financing committee, um, which of course, last session was inundated with really important uh, bills as we were trying to still deal with COVID and hopefully recover a little bit. This session, we know that uh, the speaker wants to do health care related the legislation that's always a little uh, tense between the House and the Senate. There's a lot of negotiations that happen because people have different views as to what healthcare looks like. So I'm glad that I get to be part of those conversations. So um, it's going to be a really busy session with uh, two really meaty, meaty committees that do a lot of work, and then working as a vice chair for a committee that has an avalanche of bills that come before it.
2: Yeah. Rep. Uh, Savadosa, you said that. Uh, The House leadership assigns committees and and chairs and vice chairs of committees. Uh, When you say House leadership, does that mean the House Speaker technically makes these assignments? You can ask, but the House Speaker makes the assignments, or is it more
3: complicated than that so these are these are some things that i don't know because i am not in house uh, i am not at that level in the legislature but i imagine it's a conversation between the speaker's office the chairs of the different committees um, as well as other sort of members who are who are in that higher level of leadership. But I will say the speaker's office reaches out to us. We sit down, we have a conversation about what our goals are for the next session, um, what kinds of committees we'd like to be on. And I think it's a really delicate balancing act because there are a lot of people asking for exactly the same thing. Um, And so I know, uh, just from my conversations with the speaker, I know that he worked really hard to try to put people where he thought they could be most useful, which sometimes is not always, you know what you'd ask for but I will say it for me personally I was less prescriptive I just said I'm looking for something where I can really dig in where I can really learn how legislation gets done you decide where that is um, I will be happy for whatever um, and that you know I think that works out being a little bit less setting your heart on on one specific thing
2: so representative Sabadosa you just mentioned a moment ago home rule petitions yes. these are petitions uh that individual municipalities uh ask the state legislature to make because they can't do something on their own and they need permission of the state legislature and that's a home rule petition a petition that allows a municipality to have a law it wants i want to know more about what you see those being in this term From your district and from the city and towns in the district, I'd like to go back to one of the home rule petitions last term, which was the petition from the city of Northampton endorsed by the mayor and unanimously by the city council and all of the elected officials in the city that did not succeed. And that was the proposal that 16 year olds be allowed to vote in municipal elections. Can you use that perhaps as a template of what home rule petitions are? And while we're using it as an an example, tell us whether you think it has a better chance of passing this time around.
3: Well, I I certainly can, but I feel like you laid out pretty clearly what what a home rule petition is. So I'll reiterate that it is something that comes from a city council, does need the approval of the mayor. Or a select board. Or a select board, yes. Although it it gets a little bit trickier with select boards and town meetings. So those sometimes go through the governor's office depending on when they're passed. I will spare listeners all of those nitty-gritty details, but it's a little bit easier when you have a mayor-city council system. Select boards can always do home rules, but they do need um, town meeting approval, and without that, they have to go through the governor's office. Um, But Back to uh, the simplest structure possible, your local government approves an idea, they send it to their state representative, and it's generally the state representative, although a state senator can file these petitions, um, and we are simply asking the state to, do, to give us permission to do something that is different than what is included in the mass general laws. So the mass general laws do not allow 16-year-olds to vote in municipal elections. When Northampton sends that home rule to the legislature, we are asking for that special permission. Some of the things that come up for the legislature are, uh, do we think that this is constitutional? Because irrespective of what the general laws say, if they don't think it's constitutional, they're not going to pass it. Um, and that, of course, means do we think this is going to be challenged in court? Do we, are we going to be able to defend it? All of those things that uh, could potentially come up. Um, the legislature is also going to think about how many communities are doing this because there comes a point where maybe three communities ask, and that's not such a big deal. But when it becomes 30 or 50 or 100, then does it make sense for us on a city and town basis to approve these petitions? Or is this something we should be thinking about on a statewide level? And Sometimes that's even by population, right? If you have the city of Boston, the city of Springfield, the city of Worcester asking, then you think, well, how many people did they re- those cities represent? At this point, we've had most of the Commonwealth under that law. Does it not make sense for us to move forward? And then it becomes trickier because you have to think, and with voting, this is always the case, does it work everywhere? Um, what works in Boston does not always work in Goshen. Uh, that is, that's very clear. And so the legislature has to enter into more negotiations. You have a lot of players who want to weigh in. A lot of select boards want to weigh in. Um, and home rule petitions, you know, they're often successful, but with some of the more controversial issues and, and allowing 16-year-olds to vote is one of those, can be a little bit more challenging. And legislators can't object to it moving forward. So, and, and I've seen this happen in my tenure. It, it had nothing to do with voting. Um, but in my first term, there was a home rule petition to expand a charter school district, I forget even in which community, on the South Shore, and legislators who did not represent the South Shore went every day to session to make sure that bill didn't move forward. And when that kind of thing happens, when there's um, when there's opposition to it, uh, the legislature does think twice about it, even allowing one community to move forward.
2: What I didn't understand about the opposition to Northampton's Home Rule petition and we should note that there was other legislation mm-hmm. pending at the same time that would have given municipalities the option of whether or not to allow 16 year olds, 16 years olds and older to vote in municipal elections is what the opposition was to allowing individual cities and towns to make their own decision because it was not a legislation that said 16 year olds have to be allowed to vote in municipal elections but it gave individual cities and towns the option to do that if they wanted to and that seems to me to be really the heart of democracy let local towns and cities and government and the voters there make these decisions.
3: Well, I, um, I can tell you what the opposition was. I, I'm not going to say that I agree with the opposition because I, I don't. I, I believe in moving forward this petition. But I will say the opposition was concerned about particularly smaller communities' ability to manage the separate roles because you could, would need to have separate voter roles for municipalities versus for statewide elections. There were a lot of concerns raised about privacy. So if... Um, there were a case of someone who was perhaps, um, there was intimate partner violence, and a family had moved. How were we going to ensure that privacy was maintained if the family was trying to um, maybe not be found? And all voter rolls are are public. So there was that concern that was raised. Um, There were other concerns related to privacy issues. As you know, minors are not usually allowed to opt into things without parental permission. And so do you have to have parental permission? to register to vote that is of course a really messy conversation i would argue that no one should have to have permission from someone else to register to vote so that question got raised i mean i will say talking to the town clerk or the city clerk in northampton uh, she was able to address all of those concerns and say of course i know how to manage these things but i think the state legislature gets a little concerned because they don't want to say we gave permission and now there is this lawsuit and we don't know how to address it so it this is why it didn't pass it is this continuous conversation it came up even in the larger voting bill do we ad- take up the issue of 16 year olds voting because you're right it's northampton it's acton i believe it's it's somerville there are other communities that are trying to do this so it,
1: ashfield massachusetts Ashfield, Massachusetts. for about 10 years we've been trying thank to
3: thank you how could i forget ashfield the most important of those communities by far <laughs> um but because there are so many, it did come up as conversation during the voting rights uh, bill or the votes act that we passed last session. but um, you couldn't get all of the membership there there were still a lot of questions and even though Ashfield is involved in the situation, not all legislators were fully aware and created a little bit of uh, nervous feeling. so um, you know I, I keep telling people because I've been asked a lot of times to file legislation where people have said, it's such a, I have such a great idea, but you know, you can't enforce it. I don't know how it would work in practice. And it probably would be a moot point in five years. And you have to say like, nope, legislation is, is not that (laughs) it has to go into law and it has to stay in law and you have to be able to implement it and enforce it. And if you can't do all of those things, you have no business filing a bill. So, um, continuous conversation.
2: We are speaking with State Representative Lindsey Sabadoso. We're going to take a quick break, two minutes, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. More bills, more legislation, more
0: things we really do need to know about right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
4: This week's Shop Tuesday is Fishtails Bar & Grill. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Fishtails releases certificates for their bar and grill in Hatfield. You'll find what you're craving at Fishtails. Stuffed haddock, scallops, hand-seared herb butter salmon and swordfish tips. Daily specials from noon to 4 on Fridays and Saturdays. And fish and chips for just $5. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Fishtails Bar & Grill in Hatfield. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at WHMP.com.
5: Fill in the blanks, H-A-M-B-blank-R-G-E-R. You get it? How about B-blank-T-T-E-R-L-blank-N-C-H? I don't have a hard time filling in the blanks. You? If you need to fill in the blanks on your grocery list, hop into State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits right in downtown Northampton. Swing into their big free parking lot between classes before pickup, after drop-off, And fill in the blanks on your grocery list. Or pick up a quick stroller sandwich for lunch for you or your kids. Or heck, you could do all of your grocery shopping there. No blanks left on the list. And did I mention that they're called State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits? You could also pick up some L-I-Q blank O-R. You can fill in all the blanks on your grocery list. At State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits. On State Street, downtown Northampton.
6: You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 Amherst and online at forthillcs.com.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
6: And we
2: continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, representative for the 1st Hampshire District. Representative, before I leave this question of 16-year-olds voting in municipal elections, um, I know this is Yogi Bear asking, it's tough to make predictions, particularly about the future, but do you think this is apt to receive more favorable consideration from the legislature, either on a statewide opt-in basis for municipalities or for Northampton itself, this legislative session?
3: I don't know about this legislative session. I will say that we made really good progress last session. The 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who were involved, you know, came, they met with the chairman, they explained what was going on. He told them very clearly what the obstacles were to this, which I, I appreciate because, you know, even if it's bad news, it's better to hear honesty than, you know, platitudes. So he was he was very good about that. We have the same chairman of election laws uh, this session, Dan Ryan out of Charlestown. So we'll keep going with him. And uh, I appreciate that he was so willing to try to figure out where potential wiggle room and negotiation could happen. But I also don't like making predictions. I did not bet on the Super Bowl, and I will not be betting on this either.
2: <laughs> well, let me ask you this. It's not a bet exactly, but and it's not a prediction, but it is a bit of a prognostication. You were on the Transportation Committee. You're on the Rail Commission as yes. well. Do you think there's going to be progress on East-West, West-East Rail this legislative session?
3: So, I will say, I, I do think that there's going to be progress. Um, I know that the commission is is going to have another hearing. Um, it, it will be in Northampton, actually. We're still working on the exact date for that, but the, the committee is putting that together, and I will share that widely because we'd like a lot of people to come mm-hmm. when it's announced, both um, from, from all spheres, from small business to housing to whatever that may be, but I think the commission needs to see a really robust picture of what rail can do for Western Massachusetts. So yes, there will be progress in one way or another. We are waiting from the federal government to hear about some of the grants that will poor funding into the rail, um, and we do need that money because just the state alone is not going to be able to pay for it. Uh, Maura Healy was in, or Governor Healy, I should say, was in D.C. last week. We know that she met with Secretary Buttigieg. We know that East-West Rail was one of the topics on the agenda, and they are trying to work to pull more federal dollars into the state. So, so long as we can... Bring that money in. That we're so long as we're successful in getting those grants, I think that you will see very tangible process, uh, tangible progress rather. If uh, we are not successful in those grants, then it's going to be uh, a little bit harder. But I I will say the folks at MassDOT are applying. They are brainstorming. They are working with our interstate partners, and they're trying to figure this out. And I really appreciate the way that they have often viewed this as the, the inland route to New York. So we're connecting Boston, New York, and other major East Coast cities. We do need a route that is not just along the coast, uh, given given the way ice caps are melting in the Arctic and, and rising sea levels. This is going to be more and more important for the state and our resiliency plans for the future.
1: Representative Sabadeus, uh, this is Buzz. Um, is, are we in competition w- for transit? funds uh, with the MBTA, that is, people in the eastern part of the state really are concerned about the condition of that subway system and the rail system, and people out here really want east-west, west-east rail. are we in competition?
3: So there's there's always a competition for for interest in dollars, but the way some of the federal funding works, it's very specific to different projects. And we know that those grant applications have gone in for East West Rail. So in that sense, I would say we're not competing. Uh, where the competition is going to be once it's going to be when when it's built, <laughs> and then the the maintenance, the subsidies for the fare subsidies are really important. I think people hear that and they think, "What do you mean I have to subsidize?" But we subsidize everything. So the the roads that you drive on are subsidized in a way. You are not actually paying the full cost of that road. We have to make this it. rail
1: system affordable.
3: And it has to be affordable. And that is the message that I keep trying to get across because one of the things that frustrates me the most is the Valley Flyer, that it costs less to get on that train in Springfield than it does to get on in Northampton. And that means we are not encouraging people to use the rail. And even though we're seeing you know, good numbers, we see good ridership out of Northampton, um, that's not going to last if people figure out that they can just park in Springfield. Field. So we um, we are focused on affordability to great extent, and that's going to be where the competition for dollars matters more. But that's a little bit further down the line. Or down Representative,
2: the track, Sabados, Representative Sabados, I'd like to ask you about two other issues quickly. Sure. Um, One is you told us you're serving on the health committee. Uh, I think it's a joint committee of the legislature. I know your position with regard to abortion as healthcare. Are there going to be abortion access issues that come before the legislature this term? And what is the prognosis for those bills?
3: So I don't know if there's going to be uh, abortion access legislation per se. Um, of course, we are all watching the case in Texas, uh, where there are some who are questioning the FDA's 20-year-old approval of um, of abortion medication, of medication abortion. So if uh, that case goes poorly, which it, it may, this is a Trump-appointed judge who does not have a long track record of actually following logic and the FDA's authorization is overturned. It will go to the Supreme Court. I'm going to remain optimistic that even the Supreme Court is going to acknowledge that the FDA Does have congressional authority to approve medications. I think that's very clear. Um, But depending on that, there may have to be state level action. I think there are a lot of Supreme Court cases and and federal court cases that we're watching to see if there's going to need to be state level action. Um, Unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of uh, judicial activism at the moment, and it's uh, mostly by the right. So um, we'll, we'll be ready for that. Um, and I think we if we don't have to respond to any court cases, we are looking at a lot of issues around workforce. Um, there is a shortage of workforce in, in all health care. If you've tried to get a PCP in Western Mass, you know that. Um, and we'll also be looking at, at cost containment um, around the Health Policy Commission, as well as, the you know, one of the things Speaker talks about all the time support for community hospitals and making sure that healthcare is not just run by two giant uh, two giants in the healthcare world in Massachusetts.
2: One last question for you before we go: uh, Is there the necessity for and the possibility of legislation regarding uh, gun control, and in particular with regard to semi-automatic weapons, or is that something that Massachusetts has already addressed?
3: So no, there is absolutely the possibility for it. Um, We were told at the end of last session that this is something that the House will be taking up. It's something that we expect. Um, I know that they're working closely with the administration because you want to pass something that the governor is going to be supportive of. So I think that that will happen this session. And um, I, I don't know the exact parameters, but it certainly looks like we are gearing up to take that on.
2: OK, we're going to leave it there. Representative Lindsay Sabadosa is with us With us every month. We really appreciate your representation. You appreciate your time. And thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank, thank you, Representative. Thank you. It's always a pleasure.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A move to study past injustices on black citizens in the city was on the agenda at Northampton City Council meeting last night. The council took up a resolution that could potentially lead to reparations. City Councilor Garrick Perry spoke with Western Mass News.
8: We're in need of community, of coming together, and it's really, I think, important now for us to start tackling these issues of why Northampton doesn't have the same population of African Americans as some of our neighboring cities. You know, why we've only had three black city councilors.
7: Councillor Perry said they'll vote on whether or not to form a commission to review a history of slavery in the city, as well as discriminatory practices. The goal is to study subjects such as housing disparities for black citizens or obstacles for black businesses in Northampton. John F. Kennedy Middle School in Northampton now has a permanent principal. Lauren Marion, currently serving as interim principal for the school, beat out four other candidates to be named the school's permanent leader. The Greenfield Police Department has been awarded a $375,000 grant that will help the department hire and partially fund three new officers. City Council voted to accept the grant Wednesday, signing on to fund the remainder of the cost of the three positions. In the past year, the department has lost several officers to retirement and other departments and were unable to fill the positions due to budget constraints. With six officers down, the department will be moving from 24-hour coverage to coverage from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. beginning March 1st through June 30th. The new hires will begin to help the department move back to full staffing.
9: For today, mostly cloudy showers mainly during the first half of the day. Breezy, highs 54 to 58, but temperatures dropping during the afternoon. Tonight, partly cloudy, breezy, and colder. Overnight lows 18 to 24, and the outlook for Saturday mostly sunny and cooler. Highs around 40. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
7: This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
10: Yo soy Johan con la Sintesis Informativa de Holyoke Media. El Dr. Javier Reyes, quien ha sido el rector interino de la Universidad de Chicago, Illinois, fue nombrado el jueves como el próximo rector de la Universidad de Massachusetts en Amherst. El nombramiento histórico del nuevo rector, el cual fue elogiado por la gobernadora Maura Healy, coloca al Dr. Reyes, un economista nacido en México, como el primer latino en ocupar el cargo máximo en la institución educativa insignia de Massachusetts. En conversación con New England Public Media y Holyoke Media, el Dr. Reyes compartió parte de su visión para integrar a la comunidad latina en el campus universitario, pensando en un enfoque que conecte no solo a los estudiantes, sino también a sus familias.
11: Esa es la parte que nos tenemos que enfocar mucho en la vida de los estudiantes en el campus. Y hacerlos sentir no solo bienvenidos en cuando llegan, pero también bienvenidos a hacer preguntas, bienvenidos a buscar los recursos que existen para ellos cuando están tratando de hacer sus tareas, mejorar sus estudios, buscar grupos de soporte, eh, porque todos traemos algo en el que de vez en cuando algo nos va a pesar y poder saber que podemos aproximarnos a alguien y tener esa ayuda es muy importante pero también es es muy importante que sepamos que no solo debemos buscar a los que tienen se ven como nosotros o hablan nuestro idioma sino debemos sentirnos cómodos de poder aproximarnos y acercarnos a otras personas de otras afinidades que tengan ya sea LGBT community o la la, la comunidad afroamericana la comunidad asiática la comunidad musulmana y crear una cultura de entendimiento crear una cultura de aprendizaje crear una cultura de soporte que no solo depende que sea tu grupo de afinidad el que te va a apoyar.
10: El Dr. Reyes iniciará sus labores como el nuevo rector de Yuma Summers al concluir el año escolar, fecha en la que el rector actual, Kumbul Subaswami, se retira. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
7: This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. <música>
0: This is talk the talk, and I'm
2: Bill Newman. We are here with Buzz Eisenberg, and for that particular intro music, of course, we have Max Page, who is the vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. And no, segment, he isn't. We,
1: he is the president.
2: Uh, the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Sorry, I was on autopilot. I apologize for that, Mr. President.
1: You've been demoted, president Max. Max
2: Page. No, no, he's been elevated since he was he was vice president for couple of terms, and he's now the president of the Massachusetts Seizures Association. Max Page, good news, I think, for Western Massachusetts in particular, with the announcements regarding Joe Comerford, I think, as the co-chair of the Higher Ed Committee in the legislature. Tell us what your reaction is to that, if you would, please.
12: Well, it's a, it's terrific news. I mean, Senator Comerford has been um, the, the main, uh, you know, legislator on the Senate side pushing for a major reinvestment in public higher education. She's the chief sponsor of the Cherish Act, that is the bill maybe we'll talk about a bit later, a central bill that we helped craft with her and others to um, provide high quality, debt-free public higher education. It was her first bill ever filed when she first became Senator in the Great and General Court of Massachusetts. So it's great to um, know that the Senate president, Karen Spilka, has, thought it important to have Joe as the co-chair of the Higher Ed Committee. It gives us, you know, good good hope that the the Cherish Act and Investments in Public Higher Education will get really top billing in this upcoming session.
2: We should probably note that the Great and General Court is actually the formal name for the Massachusetts legislature.
12: That is correct. Thank you for that, that clarification.
2: Max, I, you mentioned the Cherish Act. For those of our listeners who say, okay, I know Max Page has talked about it, I know Newman and Eisenberg are interested in it, Dan Torres too, but go back. What is the Cherish Act? What is it sure. going to do to help us out here?
12: Yes. Yeah, so the Cherish Act is a blueprint for a reinvestment in public higher education. We have a scandalously bad record in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which prides itself on public education. When it comes to public higher education, and over the past uh, several decades, we have disinvested. And by disinvested, I, it's another way of saying we have privatized public higher education. We have lowered the investment in public higher ed, which has mean higher tuition and fees, which is which is privatized. It's put on individual students and their families. We have disin- We have relied on adjunct faculty and staff because we are not investing enough to hire full time faculty and staff we have disinvested in the buildings so when the UMass Amherst and other and Greenfield Community College and Holyoke Community College when they need to build buildings they have to put out bonds that are often paid for through student fees so what this does is this bill addresses each of those pieces it would guarantee debt-free public higher education for everyone if you have a lot of money you can pay full fare If you're a working class kid, you'll not only get tuition and fees paid, but also living expenses so you can truly um, attend it invests in the kind of the programs we call them success programs programs to help students not just get to college, but get through college. It's about providing fair wages and health insurance for our adjunct faculty who do not get health insurance in a state that prides itself on universal health insurance and finally. It's about, as I said, um, taking the cost of state buildings, our state campus buildings, off of the backs of students and their families and actually having the state pay for them as they did when I grew up in Amherst and watched the Fine Arts Center rise and the tallest library in the world rise. Those were paid for by the state and with funds from the federal government, it was not paid for through student fees.
2: Well, help me understand this. Is the Cherish Act simply a blueprint for funding, or is it a guarantee of funding? I'm a little unclear about the relationship between the Cherish Act and what other actions the legislature has to take to make the Cherish Act real.
12: The chair, they would have to, we want them to pass this bill, which it would be a multi-year commitment to reinvesting in public higher education.
2: I'm sorry, have I lost you, Max? Or are you- Can you hear answer? me? I can hear you now, thank you. Yes. So it's,
1: uh, the,
12: the blueprint, it's a blueprint of, uh, it would basically make a long-term commitment in the same way that the Student Opportunity Act, that was a bill a few years ago that made a seven-year commitment to reinvest in K-12 schools, which the legislature is now each year in its budget process. It then adds more and more money each year to fulfill the obligations of that legislation. That's essentially what we would be doing, but this time for higher ed. We never got to higher ed when we had the campaign that was called Fund Our Future, that resulted in a wonderful and amazing invest reinvestment in K-12 education.
2: I sent you an editorial copy of an editorial. Tell our listeners about it, if you would, if you would please, and your reaction.
12: Yes. So um, the this is an editorial today in the Boston Globe about something called Mass Reconnect. And Governor Healy, during the campaign, and I we believe in her budget, which will come out, budget proposal that will come out on March 1st, will include funds for something called Mass Reconnect. It's modeled after a free community college program for adults, those over 25 in Tennessee and in Michigan. So it's basically those who didn't get to go to college at what has come to the traditional time of, of 18 years old giving them access back to community college and would help them uh, make the tuition and fees um, free after whatever grants they can they can get so that's that's the idea it's um, anything that says we are moving towards making um, public higher education free whatever piece of it I think is great um, so that's great there are some limitations or concerns that we have about it that that is One thing the research has been so clear about is that for working class people, if you only help to cover tuition and fees and don't address the living transportation childcare costs, you are unlikely to get students to be able to go. And or persist all the way through to a degree It makes it much more expensive, but having investing a little bit of money and having students not get a degree is not good for them, nor is it good for the Commonwealth overall. So we wanna be sure that any proposal really addresses what is so clear in the research that you have to provide working class um, students um, broader aid, so that's one thats one major issue. We also think if you're gonna be proposing a program that might bring in thousands and thousands of more students, you need to be sure that you're also investing on the side of the programs, the staff, the faculty be able, to be able to serve them.
2: Yeah, and the question of support for those students is crucial because the retention issue keeps coming to the fore. Which is, yes, students go, they get in, they get excited, they get and do the work, but they can't stay with it because they literally can't afford to be there.
12: Right. So, for instance, in Tennessee, they have something called the Tennessee Reconnect Program. So they had eighteen thousand students enrolled in the first year; seven thousand dropped out in the second year and let's just be clear this is not like these are um bad students these are adults they have families they are probably also trying to work as well so there are real um obstacles for for people to be able to persist in college um even in in through a two-year college so let's make sure we make it a program that is successful and then the final thing i want to say about it is it also needs to be a building block to debt four-year debt-free public higher education. We want to make sure that any student can go to whatever program that they get into at any of the two year universities, the four-year state universities and the UMass system. We don't want to track students. Oh, if you're, if you're low-income, you only get to go to the community colleges. We want those colleges to be well-funded and accessible, but we also want to allow students to go all the way through four years if they want to and are able to
2: max page in the minute we have left advocacy efforts that we can help
12: with we the people yes there are um on february 28th 10 30 in the morning there will be the higher ed for all coalition's advocacy day at the state house we're having buses come from all around um it's higheredforall.org is the website and uh this is a chance for us to bring students and staff and faculty all across the system. And I wanna note in those final 15 seconds, the reason this moment is, this is such a great moment is we won the passage of the fair share amendment, the millionaires tax, which specifically names public higher education as one of the areas for investment from those, um, maybe $2 billion ultimately that comes from that new tax on the multimillionaires and billionaires.
2: We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Max Page. Max is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Thanks so much for being with us, Max. We really appreciate it.
12: Thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Bill.
0: This is Talk the Talk. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
13: We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015,
0: 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Business West announces the 2023 Difference Makers. This year's honorees include Burns Maxey of CitySpace, Claudia Pasmety and Gabrielle Gould of the Amherst Area Chamber of Commerce and Business Improvement District, and Gary Rome, president of Gary Rome Auto Group. Join Business West on April 27th at the Log Cabin and celebrate the Difference Makers, network with hundreds of business and civic leaders. The 2023 Difference Makers, sponsored by Burkhart Pizzinelli PC, the Royal Law Firm, Tommy Carr Auto Group, and Westfield Bank. Celebrate the Business West Difference Makers, April 27th, Seventh at the log
5: cabin. Authorization, enrollment, and activation activities are required to receive all services. Contact institution for details.
7: Two lattes,
6: please, on me. Yeah, my free Kasasa cash back checking account. Surprise me with sweet cash
13: rewards so
14: thoughtful. Kasasa Cashback simply appreciates me. It also refunds my ATM withdrawal fees. Huh, my Megabank account just takes money out every month without even asking. Sounds like it's time to move on. Take
5: back the special treatment you deserve with Kasasa Cashback.
0: Ask for Kasasa by name at Franklin First or online at franklinfirst.org. Federally insured by NCUA. The sap is running. Local hero sugar houses are stoking
5: the fire and boiling that one and only New England delight, maple syrup. Visit the scenic hills of Maple Corner Farm in Granville. Tour Maple Corner's sugar house to see the production of maple syrup. On the weekends, the griddle at Maple Corner Farm is cooking up pancakes, French toast, breakfast sandwiches, bacon, sausage, and eggs. Maple Corner Farm in Granville.
6: Breakfast on the weekends and take home some Maple Corner Farm syrup. Visit the North Hadley Sugar Shack. Watch boil and bring your appetite it's the north hadley sugar shack's 28th annual sugar and breakfast season serving fridays saturdays and sundays seven to one north hadley sugar shack their own pure maple syrup is available year-round but the sugaring season is short and sweet don't miss it go to north hadley this weekend Step into the season, maple sugaring season. Visit a Local Hero Sugar Shack.
5: For a directory and map showing the Local Hero Shacks, go to the CESA website,
0: buylocalfood.org. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go.
14: Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong, or perhaps we've got it all right. At Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you wanna be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton.
2: And this is our weekly segment, Heartbeat, usually with Donnabelle Cassis, but in for Donnabelle this week is Kim Carlino. Kim has been with us the last three weeks, while Donnabelle has been, as we put it, on assignment, just translation radio speak for, on vacation. Kim, you've done a great job. We really appreciate you having been with us. And we'll turn the microphone over to you for what I expect to be a really interesting conversation this morning. Kim.
14: Great. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. This is my last time filling in for Donna Bell And um, I thought it'd be fun as an artist working in public art myself uh, and creating projects in and around the valley to talk about what's coming up in public art uh, this spring in Northampton. And I'm bringing on some friends to talk about their upcoming public art projects, the state of public art in Northampton, and why I believe it's vital and to get their perspective. um, I believe that public art has the power to create a strong sense of place and community, um, and it's a really powerful tool for revitalization. So today we've got Brian Foote, the director of the Northampton Arts Council and director of arts and culture for the city of Northampton. We've got Ramiro Devaro Comas, an artist and muralist. Um, He's worked all over the country. He founded Super Stories with Grace Lang, Super Stories is a community storytelling project through public art, educational workshops, um, among many other projects he's done. And we also have joining us, Sharon Leshner. Uh, she's an artist, muralist and facilitator out of uh, East Hampton. So welcome everybody. Um, I'd like to start with Brian Foote. Uh, he's been instrumental in public art happening in Northampton and really made that his mission and he instituted an annual public arts fest every May and has been working in the community to gain access for more murals. So Brian, I'm gonna start with an easy one. Um, Why does public art matter for Northampton? Um, And what can we expect this year for the public arts fest?
15: Northampton is uh, a central artery for the art scene in Western Massachusetts, and I think, like you, I want to echo what you said, Kim, that it's a great place-making tool, murals and public art. Uh, It creates uh, accessibility to art. You don't have to pay to get into a museum. Um, It also creates a lot of uh, local connection to history or and educates, it it also creates a lot of um, pride as well Uh, And it also just makes the downtown Northampton and around and it just enlivens and creates a a beautiful space. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons we can go on about why public art matters, but we have a short amount of time Um, and it's really important to to my personal mission uh, in my job to facilitate as much public art as we can in uh, Northampton. This year's public art festival, you know, I'm going to not do it justice to talk about it. And I want to really pass the mic to Sharon Leshner. Um, She's been instrumental uh, in putting together an amazing public art festival this year.
14: Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. And um, yeah, Sharon's here. She's going to talk about her upcoming community engaged public art project on the parking garage in Northampton this spring. Um, So, Sharon, welcome and uh, tell us what the theme of this mural will be and um, where on the parking garage it's going to be located and just a little bit about the project.
13: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, So I'm really excited to be um, designing this project. It's going to be on the parking garage, the EJ Gare parking garage, where the Tuesday Um, farmers' market happens all throughout um, from spring until fall. Um, And this is a community mural, which means a few things. It means that we actually um, got input from the community. We went to a farmers' market, and we um, brought some art activities and got people's ideas going around why does the farmers' market matter to you? How do you feel here? and that is what actually uh, goes into the design of the mural and inspires the design of the mural and um, actually everybody all Northampton any surrounding areas want to come out we're actually going to have a paint party on May 13th um, where everybody is invited to paint the mural so you don't need any art skills everybody is invited to come out and paint this mural um, with us and then we will install it onto the wall Um, we're using a method um, it's sort of an indirect Mural method, and it'll be a big, huge paint by numbers. So, we're really excited about that. Um, and I just wanted to shout out our community partners. Um, community Action has been supportive in the project, and Grow Food Northampton runs the market and has been a great partner in the project, also. Um, and yeah, I think I'm just really excited about sharing with people that this is a space that all people are welcome in um, and that there are HIP and SNAP benefits at the market um, and just sort of spreading that message that um, people might not know about. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it.
14: Uh, That's exciting, Sharon. I think that's going to be such a great project there and just enjoyed by so many people, um, you know, kind of echoing what Brian said about um, the accessibility piece of public art and how you know a, a community can really take ownership um, of it through the excitement of that project. So May 13th, people can come out and help paint that. That's exciting. So uh, we've got Ramiro um, and uh, his Super Stories Project. And it's coming, he's um, gonna be doing this project in spring at the Leeds Elementary School And he's also done a lot of kind of consulting work with Northampton around public art. Um, So, Ramiro, welcome. And um, I'd love you to talk about Super Stories and how that project works when you go into a place um, to collaborate with them and how the kids get involved.
16: Okay, thanks so much for having me. You can hear me well. Perfect. Um, So yes, uh, we uh, our organization, Super Stories, as you mentioned, we work with public art, educational workshops, partnerships. Our main project we've been doing lately is working with schools. And the project we're doing with the Leeds Elementary School is very similar to some that we have done before. Uh, We did one last year, actually, yeah, last year uh, for the Community Music School of Springfield. We have a video on our website that shows the process but our goal really is to center the children's drawings. So we have a workshop with the kids, we take all of their drawings and then we actually paint alongside the kids, their drawings in a large scale format on the walls. And so what it does is it's, it's really cool to see, you never really see a child's drawing or their hand in large scale format. Um, so it, it's really special because they get to see their work big and also like a child's weirdly drawn cat is amazing. And it just gives such a really great positive energy to anyone who's, who's looking at it. Uh, so that, that's what our goal is uh, with the Leeds Elementary School. And our last thing is that we do paint with an air purifying paint from a company called Smog Armor. So we really try to make sure that we work with sustainable and, and healthy public art practices, especially when we're painting in elementary school.
2: And is this relatively permanent art? I mean, is, once it's up, is it up for at least for a while? On the walls? Uh, yes,
16: yes, we hope so. Um, and the, I mean, the paint stays up there. And we, uh, yeah, we hope that these are all permanent installations inside of the school so that the kids can always continue to have colorful, bright walls as they walk down the hallway.
2: That they made
16: that yes that they make so they make the drawings we make a sketch with their drawings and then they you know again it's kind of like a paint by numbers they come and they help and then we we kind of clean it up but they're really funky drawings uh that that you know a five-year-old will make so it's really amazing to see that
14: okay Thank thank you Ramiro that's such I love that that project and you know so to our listeners these are just a few things that are happening this spring in Northampton for public art. So, you know, stay tuned, follow Northampton um, Arts Council for all these things that are going to be coming up.
2: Yeah, we thank all of you for being on Artbeat and Kim Carlino for bringing this fantastic artist and community artists on our show. Let me say this for those listening in the morning coming up right after this news break, we have another full hour of the program, including author Deborah Offner. His book is Educators as First Responders. For afternoon listeners, thank you for having spent some of your day with us, not only for talking the talk and understanding the importance of walking the walk. For Buzz Eisenberg, Dan Torres, and our WHMT MP team, I'm Bill Newman, hoping you'll be with us on our next show Monday morning and afternoon for another edition of Talk the Talk.
4: Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us and each of us has a responsibility. Together we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org.
0: Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Northampton Radio Group Station.
7: It's 10 (laughs) o'clock.
0: This is CBS News on the Hour, your home for original reporting.
17: I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Five Memphis police officers fired after Tyree Nichols' brutal beating and death are due in court this hour to face second-degree murder charges. Attorney William Massey represents one of the defendants, Emmett Martin.
2: The public has just not been given all the information, and I think the public was left with the opinion that there was no probable cause to stop.
17: Terry Nichols. Nichols was black, so are all five officers. A white police officer in Louisiana has been arrested for shooting an unarmed black man to death as he tried to run away when police responded to his family's apartment in Shreveport.
16: Speed of our delivery to strengthen our sling speed of decisions to limit Russian potential.
17: Vice President Harris, among the attendees, the Wall Street Journal says top oversight officials want to send auditors and investigators to Ukraine's war zone to track U.S. assistance. President Biden's admitted those mystery objects shot down over the U.S. and Canada last weekend were harmless, Correspondent Cammie McCormick says hope of finding the debris is fading. The objects came down in remote areas or in extreme conditions. Canadian authorities have now ended their search for the object that came down in Lake Huron, citing deteriorating weather and the low probability of recovery. Search efforts are continuing in Yukon, but that's being hampered by mountains and snow. The U.S. has so far reported no debris recovered from the other objects shot down over northern Alaska. Spain's High court has just agreed to extradite a British citizen wanted by the U.S. in a Twitter hack two years ago. It compromised the accounts of several American politicians, including President Biden's and former President Obama's. The same day EPA Administrator Michael Regan visited the site of the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, the rail operator got more bad news. CBS's Roxana Sabiri. Norfolk Southern's problems
18: are growing. Just yesterday, another one of the company's trains derailed outside of Detroit. Authorities say one of the train cars was carrying a hazardous material, liquid chlorine, but that that car was not overturned and there were no leaks or spills.
17: An all-star catcher and Baseball Hall of Fame broadcasters died. I'm gonna take you back to a night, the first game of the World Series, 1988. Tim McCarver won two World Series titles with the Cardinals in the 1960s. He was one of the few players to play in the majors in four different decades before he retired in 1980 and became a TV analyst for a record 24 World Series. Tim McCarver was 81. The Hall of Fame says he died of heart failure. Dow futures are down 118. This is CBS News.
18: At Staples, you can count on every project being print-perfect, guaranteed.
17: I need presentations and brochures printed, and they have to be
18: perfect. Your bounded presentations, brochures with the finest folds, and more will be done right every time. That's our Print Big promise. Now at Staples, get $10 off your document printing and marketing materials order of $50 or more, plus 20% back by a store bonus. Try Staples and see the difference. Ends 225, rewards members only. Bonus must be redeemed in store. See staples.com slash stores slash print big for details at staples you can count on every project being print perfect guaranteed
4: i need presentations and brochures printed and they have to be perfect
18: your bounded presentations brochures with the finest folds and more will be done right every time that's our print big promise now at staples get ten dollars off your document printing and marketing materials order of fifty dollars or more plus twenty percent back by a store bonus try staples and see the difference ends 225 rewards members only bonus must be redeemed in store see staples.com
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A move to study past injustices on black citizens in the city was on the agenda at Northampton City Council meeting last night. The council took up a resolution that could potentially lead to reparations. City Councilor Garrick Perry spoke with Western Mass News.
8: We're in need of community, of coming together, and it's really, I think, important now for us to start tackling these issues of why Northampton doesn't have the same population of African Americans as some of our neighboring cities. You know, why we've only had three black city councilors.
7: Councillor Perry said they'll vote on whether or not to form a commission to review a history of slavery in the city, as well as discriminatory practices. The goal is to study subjects such as housing disparities for black citizens or obstacles for black businesses in Northampton. John F. Kennedy Middle School in Northampton now has a permanent principal. Lauren Marion, currently serving as interim principal for the school, beat out four other candidates to be named the school's permanent leader. The Greenfield Police Department has been awarded a $375,000 grant that will help the department hire and partially fund three new officers. City Council voted to accept the grant Wednesday, signing on to fund the remainder of the cost of the three positions. In the past year, the department has lost several officers to retirement and other departments and were unable to fill the positions due to budget constraints. With six officers down, the department will be moving from 24-hour coverage to coverage from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. beginning March 1st through June 30th. The new hires will begin to help the department move back to full staffing.
9: For today, mostly cloudy showers, mainly during the first half of the day, breezy, highs 54 to 58, but temperatures dropping during the afternoon. Tonight, partly cloudy, breezy, and colder, overnight lows 18 to 24. And the outlook for Saturday, mostly sunny and cooler, highs around 40. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 1015 WHMP.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: And I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, I'm really excited about our our next guest because I'm looking through her book, which is called Educators as First Responders, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health, particularly focused grades 6 through 12. Um, I, I have... A granddaughter who's just turning 14. She's the best kid in the world and she has those behaviors that a 14 year old girl often uh, displays and uh, she lives in Brooklyn and we keep hearing about friends of hers who are suffering from real mental health issues that went undiagnosed, unrecognized um, by her teachers and and I'm seeing I'm sorry by her parents and so in looking at this book I'm really some of it is very familiar to some of the things I've been hearing about lately. The author is Dr. Deborah Offner, and Deborah is joining us. Hello, Dr. Offner.
19: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, thank you for coming. This book, um, I guess the first question is that Bill was asking before we went live, which is even though it says that this is a teacher's guide to adolescent development and mental health, is this book just useful for teachers?
19: Great question. So, um, first of all, it's definitely for anybody who works in a school setting, um, in particular middle and high school. I specialize in adolescence and the book is focused on that. But this includes everyone from the basketball coach to the front office secretary, to the um, nurse, to uh, the security guard. So, any school personnel might find this quite helpful. For boarding schools, it's also, I think, very useful for um, residents life staff in the dorms. Um, A lot of times kids go to teachers or teachers notice when they're having problems, but kids aren't selective about people's backgrounds. They may talk to a secretary in the front office as much as they might talk to the school psychologist. So it's really for everybody. And I think it's also useful, I've heard from some parents who find a lot of the information helpful in terms of understanding their child's development and mental health.
1: And you point out in your books that Parents are not always as well-situated to observe their children's behavior. Even school counselors might not know as much as the teacher who has them in the classroom day after day. So can you speak to that?
19: Yeah, that's absolutely correct, and um, it's really the reason I wrote the book. So I have worked in schools for 25 years, and um, that's both college and high school and middle school, in counseling and student affairs roles. And what I have found is that, for the most part, my referrals of kids who needed help or my kind of heads up that a kid might be struggling routinely comes from classroom teachers or other school personnel who are with the kids in Um, you know, more spontaneous moments. So, for example, the high school that I worked at in Boston, a main source of information for me about how kids were doing was the ceramics teacher because kids would be sitting and throwing on the wheel and just talking, um, either to her or to each other in that environment. So um, it's really – very much the case that teachers are, you know, as I say in the title, the first responders. They're often the only ones to know when a kid is having trouble. And so we need to equip them because we rely on them.
1: But, Doctor, you are—look, schools are not mental health clinics. You're a psychologist. Why should schools concern themselves with student mental health issues with everything else that they have to worry about with respect to educating our children and if they are going to be concerned with mental health issues, how do they equip themselves to be able to handle such issues well?
19: So those are both really uh, compelling questions. I think um, even if you don't care about student mental health, and I think that most educators very much do care, um, the the issue is that when students are not emotionally well, their minds are not available for learning. So um, we can have students who are very bright um, and capable, you know, on paper and in theory, who are so distracted or preoccupied by um, syndromes that are pretty common among today's teenagers, such as anxiety or depression, that they're not able to take in information, they're not able to participate in class, a lot of times they may have trouble completing assignments. And so to function adequately as a student, you need to be mentally well. And the way to equip people, I think, is to make it a community or sort of village problem on your school campus so that it's not just the psychologists or the school counselors or the dean of students that are attending to things, but it's all the adults in the building.
1: We keep hearing about this national mental health crisis in our schools, uh, particularly in middle school and high school students Mm -hmm. in the wake of the pandemic, a lot of... Sort of homeschooling has happened, children who aren't aren't as socialized uh, as they would be if they were in a classroom with a lot of other kids doing what we all remember we used to do. So how does that national mental health crisis, uh, how is it reflected in this whole topic of educators as first responders?
19: yeah so the demands are are very much greater um on educators now than they were even a few years ago, which isn't to say they weren't already quite significant a few years ago. I mean the adolescent mental health crisis really began before the first covid nineteen case you know was was exposed in the u s so it's a it's a long standing kind of slow building or rapidly building in some ways problem that that we're facing as a country um, and i think um The other issue is that teachers, as well as parents and everybody in the country, everybody's been affected by these crises. And so um, nobody is operating in the way that they did or with the capacity they had before the pandemic started. So everyone's kind of depleted and, you know, in some cases have had significant losses or different kinds of at least disruptions or trauma. So the demands are greater. I think the good news is that awareness is much, much greater. Um, And that's partly, you know, due to media coverage. Um, It's also this um, generation of kids, Generation Z kids, what I call pandemic kids as well. They're talking about these things openly and frequently. And so I think that that um, is a much better situation than years ago when kids kept things private and there was a huge stigma attached to asking for help.
1: Mm. Deborah Offner, in in your book, uh, I'm looking at chapter four in your book, which is titled Worried, Sad, or Something More, and Mm -hmm. you go on to point out that 36.7% of high school students, according to the CDC, um, experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness and that almost 19% of our children seriously have considered suicide. Goes yeah. on to say you, you write that an estimated thirty two percent almost of children will experience an anxiety disorder by the age of eighteen and then you go ahead and you give a couple of examples and I'm going to ask you re- to read from page fifty five that last full paragraph but you give two examples that are very poignant one is of a teacher who had a kid who was acting rude and threw his paper down under the desk and she took the teacher to uh, the student to the counselor and then later found out the student was indeed suicidal. And another Mm -hmm. teacher, you report that experience, had a kid in her advanced placement class who was just angry to be there, even though he was achieving at a very high level and able to, he just wanted to be dropped down to a less advanced course. Um, he was obstreperous about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, then you go on and say, in re- re- recounting these stories, teacher adds, we are not shrinks. We are not therapists. But at the same time, I can see when a kid is in trouble. Could you read for us the next couple of paragraphs, beginning with neither of the above?
19: Sure. Neither um, of the above situations is unusual. Still, it's hard to know when and how to intervene. As we saw in the last chapter, psychosocial phenomena exist on a spectrum. As with any spectrum, the extreme the easy spot and call out but most occupy some place in the messy middle. There's no bright line. And behaviors move from normal and expected to serious, and needing professional help. It's normal behavior for one student, whether that's being defiant or exceptionally compliant, can be a sign of distress in another. The aim is to intervene well before a mental health issue results in behavior that could have life-altering consequences. The challenge is figuring out when that is. Like I said, this isn't easy.
1: So let's take it from there. So you're a teacher or indeed a parent or an uncle, um, and and you see that uh, there are behaviors that are troubling, and you're not quite sure, is this evidencing a real mental health problem which needs intervention? Or is this an adolescent being what we all were as adolescents, which is a little nutsy?
19: Yes, yes. So you're asking, what might somebody do in that situation? Well, how do we
1: know the difference between normal behavior and extreme behavior? And if so, what do we do?
19: Yeah, so, I mean, I think, right, the first step is sort of recognizing, you know, what might be going on and maybe generating some hypotheses in your own mind that will then inform, you know, your questions or your actions. So I think, I mean, one thing I always talk with teachers about is if a student is acting differently from how they usually are and how you've known them. Um, And so, you know, as I said in the portion that I read, there's some kids who are always a little bit edgy and defined, and for them, that's normal, right? That's to be expected. You'd almost worry if they weren't that way, because maybe it means they're not feeling well or something's wrong. You know, they've lost their spunk. But there's other kids, you know, as I think evidenced by the teacher's, um, story in the book that, you know, if they start acting that way, it feels what we might call sort of out of character and it suggests a suggested change. Um, the same is true for parents, you know, noticing changes in your child, either their demeanor, their irritability level, um, their mood, um, or things like big changes in eating or sleeping or how much they're socializing. I mean, anything that's a change, it could be just developmental or, you know, it could mean nothing um, but it's always it, you always sort of want to get your alert up if you see a change in somebody um, and then the other kind of examples I use in the book or the reason I use them is that a lot of times with teenagers depression and even anxiety can come out as kind of moodiness irritability surliness you know whatever you want to call it it kids are different from adults. And so where an adult might be able to say they feel sad or hopeless or down, kids sometimes, you know, act difficult or feel irritable rather than noticing their own sadness. So you're a little bit of a detective. And I think the the first thing to do as a teacher is just to ask a kid how they're doing um, in a very sort of open-ended, curious way. I think kids mostly appreciate being asked, you know, that an adult is taking interest in not just how they're doing on the grammar quiz, but how they're actually doing.
1: You write about it. In the two minutes before we take a break, you write about something you call the whole child approach, and you talk about incorporating sociological and systemic perspectives on on yeah. the whole child. Could you tell us about that?
19: hmm So I think... Um, one of the things that I think has been missing in psychology, not so much recently but historically, is an awareness of the broader sort of societal or structural factors. So we have a lot of more awareness of these things now as a culture. But um, you really, when you're working with a child, teaching a child, counseling a child, it's really important to be aware of their identities um, and those could have to do with gender, with sexual orientation, with with race or ethnicity or recency of immigration to the U.S., um, as well as their um, socioeconomic background, the kind of neighborhood their family lives in, the kind of jobs their parents do, because kids are very much influenced by and shaped by all of these social forces, and they are in play in the school community and in our interactions as adults. I find it especially useful when someone's identities are quite different from mine to just pay attention, to be curious, and if they bring up any of those things to just show an openness to hearing about how their experience might be different from mine. And it's important for kids to be more educated about each other's differences as well so that they can be more empathic, you know, toward people that are different from them.
11: Mm.
1: We are talking with psychologist Dr. Deborah Offner about her new book, Educators as First Responders, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health, grades 6 through 12. And when we come back after the break, I would like to ask you, doctor, about Generation Z. Are kids today different than we were when we were kids? We'll be right back with Dr. Offner right
0: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
13: We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of the white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists, and it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015,
0: 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
20: Looking for the perfect place to watch the game? Hi, I'm Caleb Hiliadis, head brewer
0: of Amherst Brewing. Make the Hangar Pub and Grill your go-to spot to catch all the action this season. Our famous wings come with your choice of 26 flavors, and with 25 years of beer-making experience, there's an Amherst beer for every drinker. Now that's a winning combo.
20: Join us for weekly trivia nights in Amherst, Westfield, Agawam, South Hadley, and Greenfield.
21: Visit hangerpub.com for more of what we have cooking and brewing today.
22: It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to ensure. Steve bought it for about $700,000. The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million. A bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad, because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Moffray Insurance. Call for a quote. 586-1000.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
1: And we are back with psychologist and education expert Deborah Offner, Dr. Offner. Um, you wrote this book, Educators as First Responders. Um, I'd like to know about Generation Z. What distinguishes Generation Z's social and psychological and educational experiences from those of previous generations, like mine, for example?
19: Sure, um, and mine. And um, what is so Generation Z? Yeah, so Generation Z refers to the cohort of uh, kids um, and young adults now um, born from the late 90s um, until now. And so um, the first Generation Z students are now in college or just getting out of college. Um, and, of course, many of them are in middle school and high school, you know, which is the population I write about. Um, and there's a few things that are distinctive about this um, cohort of uh, students, Um One is that they're the most um, racially and ethnically diverse um, group that we've ever had in this country. Um, Many, many, many of them identify um, as students of color, broadly defined. Um, And then also they are um, the most, I would say, gender fluid um, and open to different sexual orientations than any generation that the U.S. has ever seen. So those are kind of two really big distinctions. Um, the other aspects of them that are important, um, are that they are all digital natives, meaning that, you know, they've never existed in a time when the technological devices and the social media that, you know, for those of us that are older, um, are, you know, are are still somewhat new or even unfamiliar. Um, they've always had these things in their lives. They don't know what it would be like to live without them. So those are pretty significant differences, um, from previous generations. And then they're also, you know, the most stressed and most perfectionistic generation to date. So their expectations of themselves as well as their expectations of others, um, according to psychological research, are much higher um, than previous generations as well.
1: Yikes. Harder to be a kid these days. Um,
19: it, yeah. it, it really is. It really, really is. Yeah.
1: Uh, Bill.
2: Yeah, I'd like to ask about that because uh, as I recall, and it was a long time ago, but I have had in the interim teenage daughters who are now adults. Teenagerdom is really hard. It's it's erratic. There are good days and bad days, good weeks and bad months and uh, good years and bad years. And I'm wondering how you view the teachers in this situation. And a teacher says, listen, there's a kid having a really hard time but it may be totally normal. And what is a teacher to do? To go to the psychologist? To go to the parents? And will the parents necessarily be receptive? Or are they gonna say, mind your own business, this is normal stuff. And how does a teacher navigate all that?
19: Yeah, and you're right. The new normal is not all that normal. I mean, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, which of course I didn't mention in defining this generation, but it's a, it's a major definer, right, of this generation. Um, and there's also, I forgot to mention initially, um, a tremendous amount of trauma in this generation, not just from the pandemic but other kinds of psychosocial trauma. Um, now part of that is we're getting better at learning about it and documenting it, I think, in that particular um, example. Um, but you know, I would say when you say go to the go to the psychologist, go to the parent, I would say go to the kid. I mean, I think that's sort of your first line of inquiry um, and intervention is to go to the kid and There's some kids that would love for you to contact their parent and let them know that they're struggling. Um, And there's other kids that would say absolutely not. So, you know, typically you're asking, you know, again, with a middle or high school kid who's old enough to have an opinion, what the kid thinks about your contacting their parents, especially if it's obviously not an emergency. Um, But then, you know, going to the psychologist, I don't think you always need as a teacher to take a kid or refer a kid to a counselor as a school, but you may yourself want to get a consultation from that person about the kid. And you can do that without mentioning their name if you prefer to keep it private. Um, But that's a lot of what I do in my work with schools is I talk to teachers about what they're seeing. I give my lens, you know, so that they can get a little more perspective on it and we can evaluate it together from afar. And then we figure out, you know, is this a kid I should be connecting with myself or can the teacher handle it?
1: Um, Bill, I'd like to piggyback on your question. And, and doctor, you you deal with this in your book, educators as first responders, but uh, you talk about how parents stress impacts on adolescents, mental well-being. Could you, could you talk about that a bit?
19: Yeah, I think this is actually a really important issue. I'm glad that you brought it up because I think we can get so focused, especially those of us who are child psychologists or teachers, on kids that we almost forget about parents. And the truth is that even though they act like they don't care and like they're very self-absorbed, and sometimes they are, kids care a lot about their parents, and they also are attuned to their parents. So many kids in my practice or in the schools where I work will report to me about their parents' stress levels, you know, whether it's about work or a marital separation. Um, I've had kids um, gradually recognize that their parent may have an alcohol abuse problem that, you know, nobody else has ever noticed or named. I mean, um, parents matter to kids so much. And of course, with the pandemic, it's a perfect example that if your parent lost their job in the pandemic, Um, or your parent was lucky enough to have a job but was on Zoom calls, you know, from morning until night and totally unavailable. All of these things affect kids, and they're paying a lot more attention to our emotional states than I think we realize as parents.
1: Yeah, that's really. And finally, before we take a break, um, both of my children, they're now age 53 and 50, they are both educators that deal with this cohort, as you call them, of adolescents all the time as does my daughter-in-law so and and my son often who's a coach of teachers he talks to me about how adolescents can't express vulnerabilities in accurate ways mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. um and and their needs and they can't talk about it in a constructive way in an appropriate way so what do you say about that
19: yeah that's that's a great observation about kids i think that um you know as kids are really grappling with all the developmental tasks in front of them and all the social pressures. um, It's very hard for a lot of kids to ask for help or to acknowledge that they have some kind of problem. And one of the things that um, the schools where I consult really try to um, emphasize is that asking for help is actually not a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign of strength. And if you, don't learn to ask for help, it can lead to a lot bigger problems down the line. And so um, I agree, you know, with what your son says. I think it's a big issue. It's it's a bigger issue, I'm going to say, for, you know, what we might call cisgender boys than it is for cisgender girls. I think girls are, you know, it's more acceptable, I think, in many cultures um, within our country for girls to ask for help or to acknowledge um, vulnerability. But for boys, it remains super, super hard, and I'll know boys that have really close-knit groups of friends, but if a boy's having a struggle in his family, and I'll say, have you talked to your friends about it? The answer I usually get is, oh, no, we don't We don't talk about anything like that. Um, so it is, it's a big problem.
1: Well, the book, um, we are out of time. We could talk about this for days, I think. Uh, Dr. Deborah Offner, the book is Educators as First Responders, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health. You can get it through your independent bookstore. Thank you so much, not only for being with us today, doctor, but for what you do for our children and therefore for our future.
19: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It was a pleasure. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Jeff Napolitano and uh, I'm so glad. Je- I've been wondering about this organization that Jeff's looked into, Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds. It's an organization in Pittsfield. We're going to hear about it. It's Jeff's Good Thing this week. We'll be right back.
21: The ready to sell. You're lucky if you can find a seat. You're fortunate if you have time to eat.
0: Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A move to study past injustices on black citizens in the city was on the agenda at Northampton City Council meeting last night. The council took up a resolution that could potentially lead to reparations. City Councilor Garrick Perry spoke with Western Mass News.
8: We're in need of community, of coming together, and it's really, I think, important now for us to start tackling these issues of why Northampton doesn't have the same population of African Americans as some of our neighboring cities. You know, why we've only had three black city councilors.
7: Councilor Perry said they'll vote on whether or not to form a commission to review a history of slavery in the city, as well as discriminatory practices. The goal is to study subjects such as housing disparities for black citizens or obstacles for black businesses in Northampton. John F. Kennedy Middle School in Northampton now has a permanent principal. Lauren Marion, currently serving as interim principal for the school, beat out four other candidates to be named the school's permanent leader. The Greenfield Police Department has been awarded a $375,000 grant that will help the department hire and partially fund three new officers. City Council voted to accept the grant Wednesday, signing on to fund the remainder of the cost of the three positions. In the past year, the department has lost several officers to retirement and other departments and were unable to fill the positions due to budget constraints. With six officers down, the department will be moving from 24-hour coverage to coverage from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. beginning March 1st through June 30th. The new hires will begin to help the department move back to full staffing.
9: For today, mostly cloudy showers, mainly during the first half of the day. Breezy, highs 54 to 58, but temperatures dropping during the afternoon. Tonight, partly cloudy, breezy, and colder. Overnight lows 18 to 24, and the outlook for Saturday mostly sunny and cooler. Highs around 40. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
0: Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka celebrate the valley's proud Polish heritage with polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits there are polka hits it's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon on 1015, 1400 and 1240 WHMP
5: Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sauteed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sauteed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good for you but no one really likes it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton.
21: In spite of concerns about an economic slowdown, consumers continue to spend. Sales at retailers rose far more than expected in January as consumers persevered despite rising inflation pressures. Advanced retail sales for the month increased 3%, a third higher than expected. Ford has halted production, at least temporarily, of the top-selling electric pickup in America, the F-150 Lightning. The reason? A possible battery problem. The automaker says the potential issue was discovered during the company's pre delivery vehicle inspections. Is your home being invaded by digital burglars? Cybersecurity experts warn that the rapid growth of smart devices in homes can pose a threat because they're all connected to the Internet. The experts say each device in your home needs a strong password and regular system updates. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at consumeraffairs.com.
14: you're listening to the good work with Jeff Napolitano part of talk the talk
7: here on WHMP
1: and we are back and with Jeff Napolitano Jeff I said before the break I've heard about roots and dreams and mustard seeds and now here we are you're going to be highlighted as good work for this week
20: yes we've got uh we've got a good work piece of good work which is roots and dreams and mustard seeds in Berkshire County and uh, I think we're gonna end the program with the bad thing um, from the, the past week or a couple of weeks. Um, but we'll get to that bad thing in a, in a little bit. The good work is that of um, Michael Hitchcock and Nicole, uh, Nicole Fecto, um, who are two directors and organizers with this small, scrappy nonprofit in Berkshire County called Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds. Um, their website is rootsandmustardseeds.com. They are a uh, recently formed, uh, I think it's been a, a few years now, um, a small nonprofit that is has a very big mission. And we're going to listen to this conversation I had with them in, a, in a, just a second. They have a big mission. They cover a lot of different areas. Um, but uh, at at one point uh, in the interview, uh, Michael refers to Berkshire County as the land of need, um, which is definitely uh, true. We, we have lots of issues in Berkshire County. It's sort of often the forgotten county of Western Massachusetts. Um, But this small organization is working with other small organizations, and they're doing quite a lot. Um, So here's the first segment of the interview that I had with them. By Michael Hitchcock and Nicole Fecto from Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds, a a relatively new nonprofit that's based out of the Berkshires. Uh, I'm sure most of the listeners at WHB aren't terribly aware of what you're up to. So why don't you talk to, about how you started your organization and, and what you're up to?
23: The broad mission is to increase working class ownership and control of the land, natural resources, government, and economy. And uh, working class there is defined as anybody who's not the boss or the landlord. So that's all part of our... Mission and we just want to increase the regular people like us who don't own stuff, our ownership and control of land, natural resources, government, and economy in whatever ways we can come up with. And that can really lead us into crazy directions. So in the last year, we've worked on worker-owned cooperative businesses, cooperative housing, police abolition work. You never know which way we're gonna go with it. And we do have our own priorities, but that's enough from me for now. I'll have Nicole. Say her version.
24: I've been community organizing for close to 20 years and been with Manas Unitas here in Western Mass. Starting Roots uh, and Dreams and Mustard Seeds was was like um, a way to open the avenue where there would be some concentrated effort on providing mutual aid support to um, low-income people who were trying to get their businesses off the ground. It's like trying to be the network that trying to get that capital for groups and um, working with our partners to get the technical assistance. And so Worker Co-ops has been real key, I think, to building out part of our mission.
23: You'll see like when wealthy young people from a wealthy affluent professional managerial background, they can fail a number of times and still be in business and get that support. We want to be that support. Also, uh, poor people, regular people deserve the right to fail and experiment. And currently they don't have that right they're relegated to mcdonald's once they fail at anything you're back at the lowest rungs they can fling you to you
20: outlined a very vast mission basically you know police abolition co-op work uh, mutual aid all this organizing uh so what is what is your organization look like how many how many dozens of of staff members do you have doing you know carrying out this this big agenda of yours?
23: We we have two full-time volunteer looking to be paid and then we have dozens. You're right about that of extended uh, membership throughout either our our own org or through our partnerships. So we're really high on the coalition building aspect of things and making sure that voices aren't erased.
24: Okay. We have a, a large um, producer co-oping forum with a lot of Latina and Latino chefs, and they're creating a like um they're multiple groups working together, and so they're wanting to transform the space to have a commercial kitchen, and so we're looking forward to that. So they have a place to sell their. They're amazing, delicious comida.
20: One of the things that I'm wondering, just from looking at the newsletter that was attached to one of your emails about your accomplishments in 2022, because you're laying out a whole bunch of aspirations and you know goals, but in terms of concrete things, one of the items that's on your list is uh, expanding your food security program, Mercado de Vida, which says, according to your newsletter, that you have two weekly hot meals and a community fridge and freezer uh, that you provide to over 200 vulnerable residents per week.
24: We actually just opted to three meals about uh, three weeks ago just because we have uh, an increasingly growing homeless population that asked for one more meal so we now have three meals per week. And
23: we've had a huge influx of undocumented refugees climate and political from South
20: and Central America. And so how long has the food program been going? How long have you been providing meals to folks every week?
24: It was started in the in the pandemic um, under a slightly different name, Atravesendos Este Juntos. And that's when all the Latina chefs got together and they were preparing, they were cooking prepared meals and we would deliver those. So it was not necessarily organic fruit and veggies yet because that seemed to work best and there was grant money for that. And then it transitioned into having groceries for people, um, especially after granters were a little less able to give permission to not have prepared meals had to be at a commercial kitchen again versus cooked for home. So we transitioned over and now it's, it's groceries every week. And that's um, usually on Thursdays and Saturdays. And then the three hot meals is volunteer based and is cooked by many of our members.
20: Another thing that was listed as an accomplishment was opening the Redefined Community Center at Five Melville Street, which is a home for community workshops and a maker space, and so on and so forth. So that is that's something that you opened in 2022 last year and is still flourishing today.
23: We're there right now. Yeah,
24: we're here right now. <laughs> like people keep coming in because we're in like the backspace.
23: <laughs> yeah, people keep knocking on the door wanting to see what we're up to back here
24: like an intern space because we're rehabbing our building that was donated
20: to so that was uh, michael hitchcock and nicole Fecto. um two organizers and directors with uh, roots in dreams and mustard seeds they were talking to me uh about their organization um you're listening to whmp talk the talk and you're listening to the good thing and I wanted to say as a former community organizer that the work that they're doing in Pittsfield is remarkable in many ways because they're a very small, you know, underfunded organization but they're doing the right things. They're doing the they're they're building relationships with other small organizations and they're maintaining them, which is a very I mean that is like a full-time job. And then on top of that, they're doing all of this work to serve Different segments of the
1: community there. Well, I think what's interesting. I think what's interesting, Jeff Napolitano, is that these are folks from the community. We're not talking about. Uh, we're talking about a participatory cooperative model yep. that uh, that's uh, attempting to achieve, achieve true equity and justice by having folks who are sort of the clients work as part of this extraordinary Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds organization.
20: Uh, so we went into uh, a little bit more detail about their work uh, in our our second part here.
23: Pittsfield, Berkshire County is a land of need. Every kind of revitalization project, every kind of project that's done here, it just misses the people who live just a few blocks from the pretty main street. It's a median income of 24000 and every program misses them. But our programs don't seem to miss them. It seems like kind of popular with the... The groups it should be popular with. But we're trying to expand because having a group that's only for poor people, that's not sustainable. We need to mix the the people of different social economic backgrounds so that people see they have a shared interest and a shared struggle. Like the homeless people aren't that different than the people living marginally, sharing an apartment with four people. And they're not really that different than the homeowner who is just like three months away from falling behind and losing their homes. So we're trying to increase that understanding, but not in a preachy academic abstract way. It's like art classes, Spanish classes, dance classes, and you just kind of learn about the shared struggle incidentally by sharing the space. And so there is a a real need for it. And we'll be not closing this interim space when we open the other one. There's a need for both.
20: So you're... Your website uh, talks about, you know, how you do food justice work and co-op business development and co-op housing and, and all that stuff. Is it done um, all under your 501c3? Is it done with organizations, uh, separate 501c3s? Is it, how, how, how does one access many pieces of work that you folks do?
24: I think, um, so locally, we work with about five partners who are, many of them are startups or startups or their movement building groups who may not have a 501c3. Um, so our org is like an umbrella for about five different partners who are movement building groups. They don't quite have an EIN at, at this time, um, but may be working toward that goal. And that's uh, Manos Unidas and Maggie Sado, Immigrant Co-op, and then Holding and Helping Hands. And those three are majority Latino led. And then there's Reformation Academy as well. And then we then work in an even larger umbrella um, with our statewide coalition, which is Massachusetts Solidary Economy Network, Coalition of Worker Owner Power. And we rely heavily on partners like Cooperative Development Institute to bring in some technical assistance for the worker co-ops and, and things that are going are self-directed and emerging. So we definitely are are big on partnerships. We do a lot of navigation locally where people come to us and we're still small. So we may not have resources, but we've been living here a long time. So we may know who has them. So we're always reaching out to organizations in our town that can work with us to help our members.
23: And then basically for the the nuts and bolts, like for instance, the co-op housing thing, we are taking a lead on that because no one else is. And we are slowly gathering other organizations in partnership. And we take those partnerships and collaborations very seriously. So we respect and do not erase the work of other people. We keep checking in, but we are taking a lead on that. There's other things where we're less of a leader. So we, we are happy to put our names at the bottom of things. But our role in any case is always to be a leader or an equal partner or supporting. And basically our job is always to make sure that different individuals and different orgs within the project are being heard and that the ideas are being implemented in a way that reaches all of the people we're trying to reach.
20: So, you are listening to my conversation with Michael and Nicole from Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds. You're listening to the good work on Talk the Talk. We will be right back with the rest of that conversation. Job
12: to you
25: don't
0: this is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5. 1,400 and 1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. WHMP.
11: There's
5: the Sauvignon Blanc side and the salami sandwich side. The brick and feather beer side and the broccoli side. The deli side and the Don Julio side. State Street in Northampton has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. Cooper's Corner in Florence has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. But the nice thing about State Street and Cooper's, you don't have to pick a side. You can choose both sides at both stores. The world feels so divided sometimes. For once, don't choose sides. Go to both sides, at both stores. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton and Cooper's Corner on the other side of Northampton in Florence. Two sides, same coin.
24: Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, former college athlete and now arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. I'm proud to be one of the board-certified team of doctors who's ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury, from shoulders and elbows to knees and ankles and everything in between. With convenient locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, you can trust we'll give you the best bona fide care. So visit anyortho.com to schedule your appointment today, because at New England Orthopedic Surgeons, we help get you back in the game.
25: Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Raham, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money, financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit hugyourmoney.com.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
20: And you are listening to Jeff Napolitano. That's me on uh, my little segment, uh, The Good Work. The good work being what folks in the Western Mass Counties are doing uh, in terms of social justice and And making the world a better place. And and this week, I talked to the folks at Roots in Dreams in Mustard Seeds, Seeds, a a small organization doing big work in Pittsfield um, in in larger Berkshire County. Uh, This is the the tail end of uh, my conversation with them.
24: If anyone is in Western Mass and and wants to learn more about how co-op housing is so integral in creating equity for low-income families, wants to join our emerging coalition to try to create that here, um, they're welcome to e- email us. Given that, why don't you give me
20: and give the audience the phone number, email, website people need in order to reach you? It is rootsandmustardseeds.com. It is rootsandmustardseeds.com.
23: I really hope you all check out our website and look at what we're trying to achieve here with our building. Uh, we're going to try to start opening it this coming June for members only. And next summer, we're looking for the big public opening.
24: And if you live in Pittsfield and you need space, because this space now is open for people who want to do workshops or or lead a program that's available too. You can just contact us and we put people on the schedule. And that's at 5 Melville Street, right?
23: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right around the corner from the pizza shop and right up the street from the falafel shop. You can't ask for a better spot. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank-
20: so that was Michael Hitchcock and Nicole Fecteau, um, the two organizers and directors, or two of the organizers and directors of Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds, uh, and uh, it was interesting to hear them describe some of the work that they were doing and the the mistakes that I had made uh, as uh, an organizer that they they are already addressing and and uh, are are. are dealing with in in Berkshire County like one one point that I think that was extremely useful that they do is they don't just do you know political organizing but they also do art and dance classes through the nonprofit which is uh, it cannot be overstated how important it is to do things that involve joy when you're doing organizing and so like you yeah they have a you know police abolition campaign and they were Dealing with the uh, case of Miguel in in uh, police brutality in in Pittsfield, um, but they're also ha- you know they do arts. They have they have dance classes. They they have cooking classes and all this other stuff. And um, it's so integral to uh, involve aspects of of joy and and, and pleasure into uh, political organizing. Um, and the other interesting aspect was you know how they pointed out that you know they're dealing with folks who. Uh, you know, are just three months away, homeowners that are three months away from getting evicted and how tenuous all of our lives sort of are and our economic statuses are, and even though we may not realize it. Um, So Roots and Dreams and Mustard Seeds, uh, rootsinmustardseeds.com. Their number is
1: 413-345-2794.
20: They're doing great work there.
1: It does sound like they're doing great work there, um, Jeff Napolitano. So, uh, you uh, during the break we were talking very briefly about this uh, Ohio train derailment that happened about the two bad weeks thing ago.
20: the bad thing this w- this week yes and so this is the the train derailment that occurred it was the two mile long bomb train that was uh, carrying uh, uh, it was uh, vinyl chloride which is a super duper um, carcinogenic and and toxic chemical and I think it was like five hundred thousand pounds of it were released into the air and burned and turned into phosphine gas. And then they found out that they had all these other volatile organic chemicals there. And yeah, um, it's, it's their, people are finally, finally t- paying attention to it. it. It took a little bit of time for the press to pick up on this, but, um, the, the Twitter tag that's trending is Chernobling, uh, in, in East Palestine. What a dreadful uh, verb. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, what struck me about the story is just the sort of impunity of the company that's involved in the way that the EPA and the administration have just been sort of bending over backwards to try to minimize what's, what's gone on there and what people are experiencing. I mean, the residents there are, are sick, you know, many of them are sick in exactly the same way. Um, just, you know, their, their water is uh, in, in, in feeds and and, um, uh, TikToks and stuff. They're showing how the, you know, streams and stuff are covered in chemicals. And uh, I think what's missing from the conversation, uh, and this is sort of in general in corporate America, is, you know, why are there not more uh, significant repercussions for the people who cause this? Um, Like, we're not even talking about, nobody thinks that the people involved uh, Norfolk nor uh is it norfolk southern um the the train company that's involved nobody's saying that they should go to jail or and there's, there's no prospect of jail time or really any repercussions and um, i saw online somebody was pointing out well in china we might be able to take a, a lesson from them um bloomberg news recently reported about how china executed 14 billionaires in eight years um and i and that that made me think that maybe China actually takes you know, corporate malfeasance a little bit more seriously than we do here in
1: the United States. Yikes. Well, um, on that lovely note...
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. I'm just bringing I, I,
1: ideas here. Yeah, just bringing ideas. We're against yeah. the death penalty, even for Chinese billionaires, I guess. Are we? Yes. Listen, for. Uh, thank you so much. It's so great to be in- introduced to that wonderful organization. Um, for those who have been listening in the morning, thank you for spending some of your day with us. For those listening in the afternoon, coming up right after the news break, another full hour of Talk to Talk, including Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, MTA President Max Page, and the Artbeat on Public Art. Um, for Bill Newman, for Dan Torres, and for our entire WHMP team, I am Buzz Eisenberg for Talk to Talk.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
4: This week's Shop Tuesday is Fishtails Bar & Grill. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Fishtails releases certificates for their bar and grill in Hatfield. You'll find what you're craving at Fishtails. Stuffed haddock, scallops, hand-seared herb, butter, salmon, and swordfish tips. Daily specials from noon to four on Fridays and Saturdays, and fish and chips for just $5. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Fishtails Bar & Grill in Hatfield, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at WHMP.com.
0: Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. On Northampton. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's
6: 11 o'clock.